0: Good morning. Good morning. I'd love for you to stand with me uh, for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 2. If you could find your way there. I'm no, I'm not in Genesis chapter 2. Sorry. You're going to be reading from the wrong place if that's where you're at. I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 1. I'm going to be reading through verse 17. If you have the ability to choose your translation because of a device that you have in your hand, um, the reading from the NRSV, and uh, it says this, and it's also up on the screens. Now the man knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstling of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil And I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said, not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and named it Enoch after his son Enoch. Fathers, we sit with your word this morning. I pray that in, for each of us, that we would know a lifting up. We would know you lifting our burdens, We would know you lifting our countenance. That we would know, again, what it is to to come and return to your presence. To know what it is to stop and to be still and hear your voice speaking to us, beckon us back into relationship with you. So no matter where we're at in that relationship with you, whether we have never made a decision to follow you or whether we have been following you for decades, Lord, we can all make this decision here this morning to say, Lord, once again, I will follow you afresh. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're starting a new series uh, called God, the, the Questioning God. In the series, we're going to be looking over a variety of passages. We'll be going through the series throughout the, the summer season, and uh, it's been noticed by many people that the all-knowing God has a habit of showing up in humans' lives and asking them questions. God knows our hearts, and it seems to be that the reason that he shows up and asks us questions is not because he needs more information— But it's this opportunity, I believe, that he gives humanity to stop and to observe what's happening within their own being. That the God who knows our heart is giving us opportunity to stop and pay attention to that which we cannot currently see. And I think the other reason that God asks questions um, is because what he's seeking to constantly develop with humanity is a conversational-type relationship. And I think that what's often happening in these moments in which God is asking humans questions is that he is also teaching us what it is to pray. That praying merely isn't our speaking to him and questioning him, but a lot of times prayer is the space in learning to stop and be aware of his voice, the things that he would like to say to us or reveal to us. In this passage that we read, there are four questions that God asks of Cain. We won't go through each one, um, but the one that we'll zero in on in a little bit here is the question that God asks is, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? There's this invention. There's this invention, and it's likely in your car that, that uh, you drove, in, drove to church in this morning. And this invention, I'm not so sure if I love or if I hate. There are these times that every parent has experienced where the siblings are in the back seat. And they start fighting with each other. They start screaming at each other. And often what you'll hear is something like this, Mom, they're on my side of the seat. This invention is the armrest. And a lot of times you you put down this armrest. you, you, You tell your kids that are sitting in the back seats, put down the armrest. You stay on your side of the armrest, and you stay on your side of the armrest. And that armrest becomes a mediator. It becomes a barrier. It becomes a boundary for the kids as they're sitting there in the back row of the car. And that armrest is watched with more intentionality than the boundaries of warring nations. The slightest encroachment is a declaration of war. And depending on the sibling, Depending on the personality, you'll have one sibling that's sitting there watching that armrest, and you'll have another sibling that will intentionally just put their pinky nail on, on their brother's or sister's side of the back row. Sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry is a common story that is constantly being given to us throughout the pages of Scripture. And actually, when you look at this passage that we just read, in in Genesis chapter 4, from verse 1 through 17, seven times the word brother is mentioned. Not only that, seven times the word able is mentioned, and 14 times, which if you can do the math, is seven times two, 14 times the name Cain is mentioned. Biblical scholars have looked over the book of Genesis, especially Genesis chapter one, and, and they have concluded there is no possible way that the amount of times certain words are mentioned seven times can be an accident. That there seems to be an intentionality behind that. And it seems like that the author of Genesis is bringing that same theme and that same message forward in Genesis chapter 4 here to say, look at, notice this here, because there's going to be a pattern that I want you to be paying attention to. By saying brother seven times, and by saying Abel seven times, and by saying Cain 14 times, the author of Genesis is pulling out a highlighter and telling us there is a theme that I need you to notice. And it is the theme of warring brothers and from this story forward when you read especially through the book of genesis is you're going to find that there is story after story of sibling fighting with sibling it is a way to communicate to us not only that are you going to see this theme throughout the book of genesis and throughout the pages of scriptures but you are going to notice this theme in the world around you this is us it is a way that, we're, that number seven, when you look at ancient Near Eastern culture and Israelite culture, particularly when you read through the pages of the Hebrew Bible, you will no, notice that, that that number seven becomes a number that communicates completeness or fullness. And so to say brother seven times is to say this is, this is a story that we all know. This is a story that we all experience. So here's the question that God asks that we want to zero in on. God comes to Cain after an offering is given by each brother, and God asks Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? A little bit of background to help us understand the, this question. Why, why is there so much, actually, intensity here in this moment? There's there's it's, it's a pivotal moment in Cain's life, and I believe the author of Genesis is trying to get us to... to to really focus in on something here because, again, this is going to be a constant theme that you're going to notice, particularly through the Hebrew Scriptures. Here's here's some background that I want you to have in your mind as you consider this question that God asked, why is your countenance fallen? Cain is the firstborn. Why, Why is that such a big deal? Because for the ancient Near Eastern culture and the Israelite culture... there there was meant to be given more blessing and favor to the firstborn. They were the one that was supposed to be looked upon with more regard. So when Abel, the younger brother, is looked upon with more regard, that's going to set Cain off into a place of confusion. Why is this taking place? The other thing that I want you to notice about this is that it's highlighted here by the author of Genesis is, 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 that, is that Abel is described as a shepherd and Cain is described as a farmer. Now here in San Diego, if we were to consider shepherds or farmers, we, we would just conclude those are both people that live on the outskirts of society, right? Those are people that, that live in the rural spaces of, of our communities. But in the ancient Near Eastern culture, The shepherd would be the one that was on the outskirts and the farmer, particularly in agricultural societies, would be in the center of society. The author of of Genesis is doing something here and he's teaching us this is something you need to pay attention to. For some reason, the person on the outskirts, the person that goes unregarded and unnoticed, that's the one that God has notice for. It would be absolutely unexpected that God is showing his favor to Abel and, to not, and not to Cain. And maybe right now you're, you're, the gears in your mind are just turning as you stop and you realize all over the pages of Scripture how many times God identifies with the shepherd. And how many times God identifies and shows special regard for the weak, the unnoticed, and those that are on the outskirts of society. He's setting us up. These are the ones that I have regard for. These are the ones that I'm paying attention to. And so now again, you start thinking throughout the book of Genesis and throughout the Hebrew scriptures, oh, I could think of Joseph, and I could think of his brothers absolutely furious that the younger brother is being shown favor. I could think of Esau absolutely filled with rage that his younger brother, the deceiver uh, Jacob, is the one that ended up with blessing. It goes beyond that, not only to the older brother, but the people that we would want to consider enemy. I could think of Jonah. And I can think of him standing on a hillside overlooking forgiven Nineveh, furious with God. I knew. I knew it. And the reason that Jonah knew it is because he read the story of Cain and Abel. I know that you're a God that's filled with unfailing love and you long to forgive. I knew that you would treat Nineveh this way and that's why I didn't want to preach to them because I knew I knew that you would show your regard to the unexpected people. You could think of Jesus standing on his own mount and saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those that are longing for justice and righteousness to visit this earth, blessed are those that are mourning You could see Jesus with his feet being washed by a prostitute and people saying, what kind of man is this? If he was a prophet, he would know who was washing his feet. Jesus is maybe even thinking about Cain and Abel. Don't you know the scriptures? I'm constantly showing my regard and my favor to those that are on the outskirts. Listen, 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 listen. Cain brought an offering to the Lord. See it from his perspective. The story starts with the fact that Cain is coming before the Lord, and he is worshiping God. He's actually offering something. That when you look through, particularly the, 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 the laws, the, the Old Testament laws and commands that are given to us, one offering that you're giving to the Lord is your command, or the, the Israelite people are commanded to bring what's called a grain offering to God. And foreshadowing here, like Cain's actually doing that. He's bringing an offering to God. And so see it from his perspective that for somehow, some way, all that he knows is that he brought an offering to the Lord. His younger brother maybe saw him and was like, oh, that was a cool thing. Let me bring my own offering before the Lord. And then now God's showing his favor to the younger brother and not to him. He's confused by it. Maybe immediately what comes to your own mind is the older brother and the story of the prodigal son. God, Father, I've always been here with you. Like, I've been obedient. I've done what was asked of me. And my brother who went off and squandered everything, he shows up and you slaughter a, a you slaughter the good lamb for him, and you clothe him with a robe. How are you showing him regard, and you're not showing me any regard? Right there, the author of Genesis is painting something here for us. Pay attention to this, because sometimes you'll be the younger brother, and sometimes you will you will love that God is generous. There will be other times when you're the older brother and you, you're going to be messed with by the generosity of God. And, 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 and this is the point of the question that God comes in and asks to, to Cain, but he really asks to all of us there are going to be times when you can't make sense of the grace and the generosity of God. There are going to be times when you observe the world and you're going to take notice that God sends rain upon the just and the unjust. There are going to be times when the promotion is given, the, the job's given, the, the house is given, the, whatever it may be, there are going to be times that you're going to see the generosity of God extended to someone that you don't think deserves it. And there are going to be times when you see the generosity of of God extended to people, and you're going to be left with this question. Why not me? Why not me? What have I done... that that person seems to have so much joy, but I am struggling through life. What have I done? To be in this place where it feels like your face is shining upon others, but your face seems hidden from me. There are going to be these times where the generosity of God just absolutely frustrates you. Because you're not going to be able to make heads or tails of why other people are receiving what seems like so much favor and delight from the Lord, and you're in a season of floundering. What did I do? What's going on here? I want you to, I want you to see what's happening here, particularly with this word countenance. I mean, right, like God's face is, uh, that, that, that Cain's face has fallen It's like he's looking away from God. He's no longer making eye eye contact with God. I want to read to you the the same passage, but only verses 3 through 7. And I want to read to you from Tim Mackey, if you've ever interacted with the Bible Project. He has a translation of the original Hebrew that I think is going to really highlight what's taking place in this passage. And it says this. It says, and it came to be from the end of days, and Cain brought from the fruit of the ground an offering to Yahweh. And Abel also he brought from the firstborn of his flock and from their fat portions. And Yahweh gazed upon Abel and for his offering. But upon Cain and upon his offering, he did not gaze. And there was heat anger to Cain, and his face fell. And Yahweh said to Cain, why is there a heat anger to you? And why has your face fallen? If you do good, won't there be lifting up? And if you do not do good, at the door, sin is a croucher, and its desire is for you, but you can rule it. I think what's better highlighted in this translation here is that you see that it's all about this face-to-face kind of relationship, that 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 what's happening here in this moment is that what, what, what Cain's understanding is that God's countenance is shining upon Abel because of the offering that he brought. But, but it's, it really seems like God's countenance is turned away from Cain. And in these moments where it seems like and it feels like and what we're experiencing is, is that God's face is turned away from us, it leaves us in this place It could be frustration, it could be anger, it could be confusion, it could be sadness, but just like our face has fallen. And so Cain's no longer looking face-to-face with God. The way that Cain has experiences this now, the decision that he makes is that he's turning his face away from God. But God won't have that. And in this space where Cain turns his face away from God, God shows up and He asks Cain, "Why is your face fallen?" But but here's also what I want you to pay attention to, because it's the experience that we all have. In these moments. We want God to give us an answer. We want God to give us a reason for why his generosity doesn't seem to be fair. But God doesn't seem to want to be giving that answer. What he seems to be interested in is asking us, what are we going to do now? So in these moments where we can't discern the reasonings of God, we want him to explain it to us. Why are you doing what you're doing? And God's questions to us are are asking us, how are you going to live? What are you going to do from this point forward when it feels like I'm not being fair? That's what I'm concerned about. And so God's question not only is why is your countenance fallen, but he also comes and he tells, he tells Cain, if you do good, won't there be lifting up? And the reality is, is that we can and I do all the time with my boys, right? Like it's this place I was just saying, like, when you just focus on how big of a piece of cake he has, you completely lose sight of the fact that you also have cake in front of you. And the question from from the Lord is, like, you're so consumed with my generosity to others that you're going to lose sight of how generous I want to be to you. If, If you do well, won't there be lifting up? Friends, there is no way you go through this world being able to completely discern and know why God makes the decisions that he makes. It's beyond us for him to give us that answer. And what he asks of us is that we would trust that he will also be good to us. He will also care for us. That's what we need to be focused upon. If you do good, won't there be lifting up? Won't my face shine upon you? And Listen. We want God to explain why he's generous to others. And when we do that, we fail to realize that the whole point of being generous is that it isn't fair. It's not supposed to be. He's generous. He lavishes goods and gifts upon people. Let's not try to convince him to stop doing that. God desires for Cain to live trusting that if if he will worship, if he will worship, then he will be cared for. Let's let's go forward here. I want to literally turn the page here on my notes to to talk about this door. God, God comes to Cain and he tells him, listen, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to master you. Some of your translations you might be looking at and you might be noticing that it says sin is crouching at your door. But the original Hebrew actually is communicating sin is crouching at the door. And it's it's kind of a little bit more ambiguous in the way that it's stated. And I want to talk a little just about geography here in this moment because I think it's going to help us to understand what's being communicated when God is saying sin is crouching at the door. What is he meaning? What's that door? How are we supposed to discern what's taking place there? Here's the geography. Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve fall. It says this, it says that, therefore, the Lord sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way of the tree of life. In Genesis chapter 4, at the end of this passage that we read, it says, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And so what we find here geographically is that humanity is now moving further and further away from Eden. And and if you read through, particularly Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what you know you're interacting with is temple language. That God is setting up the Garden of Eden to be the place that him and humanity dwell together. The temple is known as the place where heaven and earth meet together. And so what happens is now Adam and Eve are moved out of the Garden of Eden, but they are still pretty close to where that garden is at. It is very likely that when Cain and Abel bring their offering to the Lord, they're doing so at the door of Eden. Because then all the rest, again, the author of Genesis is bringing out a highlighter for us. Pay attention to this. Because what you're going to see throughout the pages of Scripture is that you're going to notice that there's going to be this holy of holies and there's going to be a curtain that's set up and that where people are going to bring their offering is going to be right there at the curtain of my presence. At the door. So God is telling Cain is, listen, this is the cunningness of the Satan. Right here at the door of your worship, the Satan is gonna try to convince you, I'm holding back from you, that I don't have your best in mind. This is where sin crouches. It's this at this place of will you trust me or won't you trust me? Can I be trusted with your offering and your worship? Or do you need to take things under your own power to obtain blessing and favor for yourself? And all throughout the pages of scripture, the way that you see humanity getting themselves in trouble is that they are trying to scheme to get blessing and favor for themselves. And God is telling us right there at that door, that's where sin is crouching. Will you trust? I have your good in mind? Or will you have to fight for it? Cain's response was to take things under his own hands. Hearing about that that, that sin was right there at that place, he goes and kills his brother. Because he wants all the favor and he wants all the blessing for himself. Cain said to the Lord, this is after he kills his brother, and God comes to him and says, what have you done? His blood is crying out, and and the Lord tells him, you're going to be a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city and named it Enoch after his son Enoch. Here's what is absolutely fascinating about this story. Cain comes to the Lord in hearing that he's going to be wandering the earth. He's going to be isolated. What he is is communicating in this moment to the Lord is I'm going to be left out on my own. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to fight for myself. People are going to kill me because of you casting me away. And the Lord puts a mark on him. People have wondered, for as long as the scriptures have existed, what is this mark that he's put on Cain? But again, the author of Genesis is putting a highlight here for us. Pay attention to this. Pay attention here. What you are going to see from this point forward is that there are going to be a people that deserve judgment, But upon them, I'm going to place protection. There are a people that deserve to be killed because of their wickedness. But I'm going to make covenant with them. And from this point forward, what you're going to see constantly communicated through the scriptures is... Watch the blood that I put over the doorpost. Watch the rainbow that I put in the sky. Watch the scarlet thread that is tied upon the window. Watch the man on the tree. Cain says, this punishment is too much... for me to bear in that word <laughs> that word is this punishment is too much for me to be able to lift up do you know what the, what the hebrew word is for forgiveness it's lifting up and and the understanding of forgiveness is is that that someone comes alongside and carries the burden for another person Cain is coming to the Lord and saying, I can't lift this on my own. I am going to die under this. And God shows up and he says, I'm going to put a mark on you. Do you remember what God said to Cain just a little bit ago? If you do good, won't there be lifting up? Cain doesn't do good, and what does God still do? He lifts him up. lifts them up. The author of Genesis is bringing out a highlighter for us. Would you pay attention to this? A people that are resolute on trying to live life under their own power, under their own ability, trying to obtain for themselves, thinking that there's not enough for them, but fighting with their brothers instead of trusting me I'm going to be constantly lifting them up. There's this armrest that sits in the back of a seat. And parent after parent has looked at that armrest and have seen their children warring with each other. driven just to these cries of desperation, like, why won't you see that that's your brother and that there's enough for you? You have so much space back there. You don't need to fight your brother for more space. What we've discovered over the pages of human history is that we are incredibly bad at trusting that there's enough in the world for us. And we have needed a mediator. We have needed a way for there to be peace amongst us. And the good news is the author of Hebrews tells us this. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When you read through Genesis chapter 4, what you hear is that Abel's blood is spilled, and that blood cries out from the ground, and it reaches the ears of the Lord. But that blood that hits the ground cries out for judgment. That blood cries out for retribution. That blood cries out and says something must be done. And the author of Hebrews brings us forward and he says, listen, God's response to that, for the blood that cries out for justice, for the blood that cries out for judgment from the ground, his response is not to spill our blood, but to spill his own blood. And his blood that hits the ground does not cry out for judgment. His blood that hits the ground cries out for forgiveness. Sibling rivalry will be a constant, constant story that you will read over the pages of Scripture people that cannot get along, a people that are constantly thinking that there's not enough for them. And and the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. We can be a people that rejoice in the generosity of God, extended not only to us, but extended to we can now be a people that cry out for God's generosity to be shown even to our enemies. We now become a people that see that our God is better than we we think. Our Father is generous. And in him, there is enough. In him, there will be lifting up. In him, we will be provided so we don't have to worry, we don't have to fight for what's ours, we don't have to be ticked off when other people are prospering. We can rejoice in that. We can actually celebrate and even pray for God showing his goodness to the people that we don't like. Would you pray with me? Mm. Jesus, for any space in our lives where it's currently difficult to trust you, Jesus, in any space of our lives where We've been longing to see your provision. For anyone in this room, Lord, that has been crying out and saying, God, why does it seem like your eyes are not upon me? Lord, may we come to you and, and be resolute again in saying, Father, I will follow you and I will trust that you have my good in mind. I will trust that in you there is enough. Father, would we be a people that really do rejoice in your generosity? God, we come to you, and maybe there's even people upon in our minds right now that we think of, that maybe we've been at odds with. And Lord, we ask that you would bless them. We ask that you would provide for them. Father, maybe even in this week ahead, if there's a neighbor that annoys us, we come to you and we say, God, really, would your favor be showered upon them? Father, if there's someone in the workplace that has been so frustrating to deal with, Lord, would you bless them? Would you shower your goodness upon them? Father, if we get into an argument with our spouse, would it be the case that this week that in those moments we stop and, and, and we turn our face to you and in that moment be able to ask your, your blessing and your goodness to be extended to them? Lord, would we trust that you are a God of abundance? And if we continue to follow you that we would trust and believe that you will lift us up. And, Father, for anyone in this space that just finds themselves in a pit today, we come before you and we can even say, Lord, this past week, this past season, whatever it may have been, but we have not been good. There have been things that we've been wrestling with. There There are ways that we've given ourselves over to darkness. Lord, we thank you for the good news that even right now we can find lifting up in you. So Lord, in every space of our lives, every space of our lives, Lord, would we worship you? Would we trust you? And so we pray that in your name. Amen.